Good morning. On this bowl of question crunch, Scott Morrison is here to answer questions about his career in animation production, easily jumping back on trains, and a romantic shadow. <laughs> get get into it which that's the intro that happens on youtube a lot like i see a lot of hosts say let's get into it i'm like where did everyone get this <laughs> intro where is where who started this um i'm sure it was uh mark Marin deep down in some like basement of the internet where all podcasts start uh, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's just strange because like i've gotten into watching like frauditors or the the, the first amendment folks and they say let's get into it and then the people who review them they also say let's get into it it's really weird because everyone is doing youtube beef and everyone starts off with let's get into it i'm like this is bizarre they should do like the incursion thing where like every level that you get into it you have to add let's get into it into the center so it's let's get into let's get into it it like you have to keep inserting <laughs> it in so then there's just levels of lets and get and intos and just impossible I, to read i would be so much more of an advocate of let's get into an intro if that were the case <laughs> um i'd like to think that uh plato's cave had let's get into it at the like the top <laughs> left of the cave <laughs> All right, let's get into it. This shadow oh, we, we've been into, is a shadow. We've been into it. <laughs> this shadow, I think that's a hand. I'm not. I can't see these shadows. What? I'm stuck in this cave. This is terrible. <laughs> I would probably be more willing to read the Bible and believe in the Bible if it said if it started with. <laughs> let's get into it. In the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> so. Um, it's funny because like we've been friends for years, uh, not as far as like communicating all the time, but every now and then on social media. Right. And I've loved seeing the progress and the evolution of your uh, your occupation, your career, and it's amazing. And I was Thank looking you. on IMDb, and it's a little more difficult to follow your everything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, IMDb for production people like me is a little trickier, especially I think there's like at least eight different Scott Morrisons in the industry. And because we're not like a production is not a union here, um, there's not really like a whole lot of like, I guess, follow through on like the IMDb stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't even really know like who's in charge of like uploading our information per show into IMDb. Like, I don't know whose realm that is, because that's that never goes through uh, my side of things and my my end of production. So I think there's like, I, I might be like two or three separate entries on IMDb, honestly. But um, but I can give you like a rundown, like. Oh, we'll get to that, we'll get to okay. that. Okay. I'm just curious, because like I was gonna comment on IMDb saying that like, it's really weird because in some cases, they're really good and they're really hardcore about listing everyone's stuff. And other times there'll be someone who has only done like uh, short films at school and their IMDb, their IMDb page is thorough as hell. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that, um, especially for student films, like in film departments, I remember at uh, Saddleback College where I went, um, that was actually like a part, like, like that was a part of the class was like, hey, if this is your job on the film, part of it is logging and creating the entry on IMDb because, you know, in the student film world, having an IMDb thing, like just having some kind of reference point is important for, you know, you want to make sure, you know, IMDb has become such a thing that you wanted to make sure that everybody got their credit on there and like created that network basically. So I think that's that's probably why. Uh, for especially for student films, you see like that high detail. I just always love it when you uh, when you come across someone's IMDb page and their photo is like really filtered, and you you can tell that the person loaded their photo on their own. Yep, 
Yep, I've seen that. I think I don't think I have a photo, but I did. Um, I did act in someone's uh, student film back when I was in Saddleback. So I think that might be like one of my main IMDb credits is uh, that like I was in two different. Uh, I acted in a couple different uh, projects and back in Saddleback. So that was around the time I met you. I think I was I was I was at I was working at Disneyland at the time, and I was. Uh, yeah, I was doing that. I was at school. I was doing these short films, a couple of them. And yeah, that was bananas. <laughs> um, so while your IMDb page was not the most convenient to look up uh, your history, um, and this is strange to say this, but LinkedIn was yeah. the most useful website I've ever, like, I've ever come across. I was like, oh, hey, here we go. This is awesome. Yeah, I think in my particular thing, like for production, LinkedIn, I think, is a valuable thing. I've, I've noticed that uh, when I start applying for stuff again, my LinkedIn gets a couple more hits. Uh, I've been reached out for some gigs through LinkedIn, um, you know, especially like once you start networking with people through LinkedIn, like with the other people that you work with on each project, like people look for people that have worked, like they want to be able to vet you. So they look for people like, hey, okay, this person applied, who's worked with them, who can I check in with? Because on a production, like especially at the production level, um, you're really just looking for someone that's that does what they, does their job and is fun to work with. Like, I think people really check in, like it's it's a lot of word of mouth and like networking and, and having someone say, oh yeah, that guy, they're, they're pretty great. And they're like, I worked with them on this. They were fun. Like that's for, because because production, especially TV animation production, I don't have, I have a few um, directed DVD movies now under my belt, but uh, everything else has been TV animation. And the way TV animation in the production sense is kind of like a moving train that you're constantly jumping off and jumping back on. Isn't, isn't that a movie? Isn't it like Silver Streak? Isn't that like what the movie, like Gene Wilder keeps getting knocked off the train and having to get back on the train. Like, it's like that. It's like, because every, the, you, you at the beginning of the seat, like the whole production, your line producer is sitting down and setting out this huge overlap schedule for the entire show. And it's really funny if you ever watch uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, at some point, I think in the second or third season, Sokka pulls out his itinerary schedule for the group, and that's literally a production schedule that they just like as an inside joke turned into a design for the show. Like they're like, that's like a perfect like insane schedule is a literal actual animation production schedule, and so when you're in the production side of it, like you're just like that speed and like the, like you're in these moments of like, all of a sudden this episode has to go out and it's the craziest episode we've done. And we have like 14 extra designs that need to go through. Like it, and that happens like every other week. It's like, it's like, it's a crazy, and like, and depending on the production, like it can be more or less insane. And so, uh, in those situations, you want to like. I feel like when you're hiring for that situation, you really want to bring people in that like can at least diffuse that insanity with like good humor and patience. And that's that's what I try and bring to the table. And at, at my level, is it's like I know it's going to be bananas. I know at some point we're all going to be working late, um, but I it won't it won't wreck my good time. I get to work in cartoons and I can't draw. So it's, it's nice. So that, that, okay. So the metaphor was getting knocked off the train. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. It's great. Cause I'm, I'm, I, I keep thinking about it where I'm like, are you the one jumping off the train or are you just, you know that you're going to get hit off the train at some point and at some point you have to get back on a train. Yeah. You're just trying to make that get knocked off and getting back on less shitty. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> it's like, all right, at some point, you're going to roll off the side of the train and you have to run and catch back up and get on. And when you get on, you can either be really pissed about it or you can just be like, Whew, all right, let's let's get back up to the front and get some drinks. 
<laughs> the getting hit off the train is inevitable. It's gonna yes, happen. It's so it's just gonna happen. Okay. All right. I'm I'm back on board. <laughs> You're back, I'm on, back board on board with this metaphor. The train yeah. metaphor. Good. Good. <laughs> so that being said, with LinkedIn and IMDb, uh, and feel free to leave out any roles that you have to I don't know keep secret with. Uh, keep keep under the belt. I'm not entirely certain because you know NDAs are tricky. Um, what is your history in animation? All right. Um, well, going back to the beginning, I guess, um, actually, it begins uh, working at Disneyland, working at the parks, because um, I was working at uh, Turtle Talk with Crush, and in that same building was the Animation Academy. And um, because those two shows were under the same weird subletter of Interventions contract within the whole uh, Teamsters Disneyland union thing, the people that worked in those two shows were really close. Um, we were all in the same subletter of the contract, so we we could work in either of those shows and interventions. And so everyone in that group was like really close. And um, uh, Chris Wimberly, who is, a, I believe is a director now, um, uh, was an Animation Academy artist that got an internship at Nickelodeon, and then a uh, job uh, as I believe a PA on SpongeBob, and uh, he kind of started this chain of like, "Hey, if you have have the ability to get an internship at Nick, if you apply, I'll put your name in. I'll like I'll talk you up." And now there's like about a half dozen people in the industry that have all come up through that chain. Um, the first one to follow uh, Chris was Sean Genka, who's um, who's now working uh, for Marvel TV. I think you might have seen the announcement for um, X Men '97. Uh, he's working yeah. on that. He's uh, I think he's uh, I think he's the I think he's the line producer. He might be a production manager, but I think he's line producer on that. Um, Lauren Martinez, who was Lauren Cray when I worked with her at Interventions, uh, she is now like vice vice president of like current series at Cartoon Network. She like she just shot up the stratosphere of animation like development and stuff. Like once she got into like she was she was in the internship program I think right after me. Uh, so she's amazing. She's she's like a fireball. And then, uh, yeah, and then one of them was me. So I, um, I applied for the internship uh, in the uh, fall of 2011. Uh, so I was fall to Christmas of 2011. And at the time, I was working at Disneyland full time. I was going to a couple classes a week at Cal State Dominguez Hills. And then I was interning at Nickelodeon up in Burbank. And uh, so that was like the craziest time of my life. I did one day wake up and go to the wrong place. I went to my internship on the wrong day and I was supposed to be at work. And I ended up, being, and you know how Disneyland uh, point system works. It was less points for me to get there like five hours late than it was for me to call in sick. <laughs> so I ended up being five hours late that day because I was, had to drive all the way back from Burbank to Mission Viejo to get my costume and then get to to Disney. So that was fun. Um, I don't even know if we should talk about the point system because I was going to say something. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I. <laughs> <laughs> that is a whole ugh, that is a whole other kettle of fish is the Disneyland uh, attendance system. But uh, anyway, so that was a crazy time. And then. Uh, Right after my internship, um, a couple things changed at Nickelodeon. A couple people left, especially uh, one of the people I've been working a lot with. So it took a little while, but then in 2014, uh, around the spring, I was able to get my first PA job. Um, another person that had come through Disneyland, uh, Ryan Stapleton, was a board artist. And he recommended me for uh, Wally Kazam, which was a preschool CG show. Um, they were finishing up the first season and going into the second. They had gotten their second season pickup. 
And so they, a couple of people had left for other gigs while they were waiting for that second season pickup. And so I was able to jump in as a PA and then I worked as a PA and eventually as a coordinator on that show. And then my end date on Wally Kazam coincided with my daughter's birth due date. So she was going to be born the week I was going to be unemployed. And so uh, <laughs> luckily <clears throat> my production manager at the time uh, reached out and uh, found someone who was looking for a coordinator. And I ended up at Cartoon Network on Mighty Magiswords for uh, its full two season run. And then after that, I went to uh, Disney TV animation for the Owl House for the first season on that show. And then, um, and then I went to Bento Box for the first season of Central Park. And then I went to uh, Atomic Cartoons for uh, uh, episodes of Dogs in Space, which I think the first season now is already on Netflix. And then, uh, yeah, now I'm at Warner Brothers working on some projects. So I don't think they've announced either of the projects I've been working on at Warner Brothers. So I will just say I'm working at Warner Brothers on some projects. I always think it's funny whenever uh, shows are not announced and folks have whispered secrets to me and I'm like, no, don't tell me the secrets. I'm not <laughs> under, I didn't sign anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, you, just, you don't want to blab to social media because they're, you know, the studios are very, it's a very controlled system on, who and when gets to announce when a project is happening. Like from the biggest name thing to like like any small project, like they are they like controlling that aspect of it. So you gotta respect it. And but you know, privately you can always be like, hey, I'm doing this thing, it's super cool. Um, it's strange how social media is and media is because um I was not aware of dogs in space. Mainly because all my friend group and my like, you know, echo chamber of media um, was not aware that Dogs in Space existed. Um, however, when I did uh, when I did a charity thing where I was doing drawings of dogs, you mentioned any of the dogs from Dogs in Space, and so I did that, and I used the Dogs in Space hashtag, and that tweet was very popular. Social media loved that tweet, and I'm just like, oh, damn it. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's so interesting watching the animation industry from perspective of someone that, you know, grew up in the age that we did where cartoons stopped being just a Saturday morning thing, right? Like and like for Gen X and before, cartoons were kind of focused on that Saturday morning like part of just your non-cable television. And then we grew up in this era where like Nickelodeon became a thing, Disney Channel became a thing, and Cartoon Network eventually just all of a sudden animation exploded into uh, this huge part of the media landscape. And so now we're at the age where we were so involved with every show coming out back then, we knew every station every cartoons like we had our favorites and all that and now we we're the older generation now the kids are the ones that are like keeping track of everything on all the new streaming platforms and all like we're old man it's it, it happened do you ever think about like uh when you woke up on saturdays and you knew what channels to flip through depending on when the commercial was going to go on and to see if you want to watch another show instead Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like <laughs> you like for, for me, like we were just at the very beginning before like, and you know, back, back in my day, uh, <laughs> like Nickelodeon, like with like big chunks of the program, we would be like, eh, I don't care about that. Like, you know, you'd have like big, like, you know, before Nick at night was like its own block. They had like a lot of, uh, reruns of old sitcoms on there that, you know, I wanted cartoons. Uh, and so I remember, like, Saturday mornings, you'd be like, okay, well, like, ABC's got some good stuff right now, but, like, if I click over to Fox, like, there's some good stuff on right then, too. Like, you want to, like, watch, 
the good stuff. And uh, sometimes it's like, I'll watch the opening credits from this one because they're so good, but then the show itself isn't very good. And then I'll switch over. I just want to see the uh, the one Saturday morning song. That's the only thing yep. I really need to watch on set on uh, ABC. But once I'm done with that, well, well, I can I can go to other channels after I saw that song. But then I know that at, yeah, at once you get to the end of Saturday morning cartoons, I went over to UPN because UPN would have it's like uh, <laughs> I don't want to call them end credits, but they're always the weird cartoons that aren't really that. They're weird. They're just right. Weird. Like UPN was like, oh, you know, we we don't have the big money like ABC does, but we got just enough to buy and redub this weird French cartoon. Let's do that. Because <laughs> when I tell people about Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys, most oh my gosh, have no show. idea what I'm talking about. That show, I have like one like infused memory from that show because I I did watch Captain Simeon and Space Monkeys a little bit, and I just have like. I think it was Jeff Bennett doing like his like John Cleese style voice. There's like a floating computer like ball thing. And like it would just start talking in binary. And like for some reason, whenever I think about binary, I hear his voice going one zero zero one one zero zero one zero zero one. And I'm like, why does that take up any sort of space in like the hard drive of my brain it's that that's where it is it, like if you went through cataloging like the little triggers that everyday things have in my brain back to bizarre cartoons like captain simeon and the space monkeys like it would look like tv tropes links just like tons of like weird very deep cut stuff like that i like that show i i did too i did too and i was actually uh i'm going to be doing an art project where I want to mention a bunch of 90s cartoons and I was going to do Double Dragons which I also love but I've done so many drawings of Double Dragons but I haven't done one Captain Simeon and Space Monkeys so I'm like you know what? I'm going to work on that I'm going to do that I don't do really it. mind I don't mind that it's obscure enough to the point where I think that you and I are the only ones who <laughs> recognize them <laughs> they should they should I'd like to do a crossover of Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys and the Mighty Ducks cartoon, because they were yeah. very similar. Like, yeah, like the, down to like the 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 uh, like stereotype tropes of all the different characters, like your leader, your goofy one, like basically everything that followed the Ninja Turtles like starting point of that like the way that was set up. Kind of, well, kind of. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought process because. I feel like the Ninja Turtles, while they had their own tropes, they all were pretty much the same size. Right. It, like the design, like like they taking that from like their design of all the same the turtles, but their personalities were all very different. And then after that, I guess I'm trying to think of like what you could say was like the first time when like they really played into those stereotypes design-wise too. Like I know, like, because you have shows like before that you had like Thundercats and Transformers that the designs were to sell toys, but the character personalities, I don't think ever really like super stood out, I guess to me, like I'm, I'm sure Gen X would yell at me for like not praising Transformers and Thundercats, like, cause that was just before my time. But like, yeah, just after that you have like Captain Simi's Space Monkeys, uh, Mighty Ducks. Um, let's see what other, like, it's so a team. When you were describing the tropes, my head, for some reason, started filling in the tropes with characters from Beast Wars. Beast Wars. Yeah, Beast Wars did that really well. I thought Beast Wars is actually my favorite Transformers series because I think it did that. Like, the like the characters kind of all fit uh, really well, and they all had a role. Like, they you didn't said, all just blend together. You said there was a leader. Yep. And then you said there was the, the goofy, um, sarcastic one. It's goofy, sarcastic uh, one. You have your uh, your kind of angsty, like, trying to prove themselves one. And then you have to have the muscle. You have um, the muscle, feel, like the what? really big, quiet one. I'm wondering if Avengers did it first, because you have to have a Hulk. I feel like, I've well, and I guess, like, in the comic realm, maybe, or even maybe... Uh, 
the original X Men animated cartoon had quite a bit of it too. Like, oh, it, it's it's yeah. yeah, Beast. You had, uh, but you had like the success of that show. I think was committing to having such a big cast and keeping giving them all like enough character to to keep you engaged with everybody. Like you could tune in all the time. Like they didn't kind of have like the everyone blends together problem that I think earlier animation maybe had. Uh, yeah, X-Men and, uh, but yeah, Beast Wars was really good. Um, and Beast Wars always reminds me of one of my favorite cartoons from that era is Reboot. I don't know if you were a big Reboot fan, but. Oh, I'm a huge Reboot fan. I loved that series. That series, uh, was so cool. And like going back to it now, like there's even more to it, like pop culture reference wise, they were able to sneak a lot of really great stuff into that show. Like that I'd never got when I was like seven or eight night watching it whenever someone um makes a reboot joke i feel like i'm one of the 10 people who gets it <laughs> it, was great. it was a great series i remember the first time i ever walked through a uh, universal what's like the universal version of downtown disney city walk i was walking through city walk and uh, they had like a toy store there and for some reason in that toy store like in the mid early 2000s they have just this bin of little reboot character toys and i bought every single one of them like i had i shared them with uh someone a friend of mine at the time so i had you know little bob and they had the little the blue and red guy i forget their names the the megabytes like robot lackeys it's funny because i I was gonna say the same thing of like megabytes henchmen because i remember the villain i just don't remember the lackeys yeah they, they were mostly just background like they would hold someone in case like they needed to be held like trapped and then they would make like general just like ah he got away oh he got like they had to be they had to be the inept ones so that mega megabyte could still be threatening and hexadecimal is still nightmare fuel oh yeah terrifying (laughs) awesome but terrifying yeah (laughs) i'm i'm surprised you don't see more cosplay of her I feel like she definitely fits that like cosplay, like that that design where it's like, you know, a look that everyone gets, but like it it kind of just go. It's like a a body like suit style outfit with like crazy headgear and then the mask. Like I feel like that would be really easy to cosplay. Have you ever been to Emerald City Comic Con? I haven't. Well, my con has my con trip has been limited to a couple times at San Diego, and uh, and then I I've done a couple board game conventions uh, in LA, and that's about it. Like I haven't gone out into the world of cons enough. I've wanted to go to Emerald City, and I've wanted to go to um, PAX Prime. I'd lo- I'd love to do PAX Prime, and I've always wanted to do uh, the Game Train to PAX Prime. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, the only reason why I bring up Emerald City Comic Con is that I feel like a lot of cosplayers there do mm-hmm. really the more obscure stuff. Yeah. I've seen I've seen shows that are not really popular and specific scenes from right. shows that are not that popular. They are like comic hi- uh, pop culture hipsters in the Northwest. Um, so if we do find a hexadecimal uh, cosplay, it's I'm going to say it's probably at Emerald City Comic Con because I don't think that reboot is popular enough to be like if you dress up like her, I don't think she's going to be that widely recognized. Right. I mean, I don't know. And then uh, the studio that made reboot, um, they're in Vancouver, I think. Uh, At least they were back then. So maybe um, I think they were in Vancouver. They might be in Toronto, but they're Canadian shows. So I wonder if that show got a lot more play in Canada. So maybe people. On in the Northwest and on that kind of border, maybe they have more of an awareness of it, too. Possibly. Um, It's interesting because you brought up uh, the binary robot from Captain Simeon and Space Monkeys. Do you ever wonder when you're working on a cartoon, which scenes that you're making that will forever haunt kids as they grow up? Um, I, I, I feel like so I've worked on, you know, my first show was like a preschool show. And, and preschool is very sure. interesting. 
I want to make sure that I note that when I say haunt, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that lives rent like like your mind sticks with you. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm always like thinking like, is this going to be the show that like people like freak out if I ever tell them like in the future, like, oh, I worked on that. Like, um, I definitely feel like uh, getting to be involved with the Owl House. I wasn't on there very long, but the Owl House has become such a huge, awesome thing, and getting to be on that first season. And just seeing the character designs come in for that show. Because if you watch that show, even especially like just background creatures and like, you know, they have like some big monsters in every couple episodes. And just the stuff the character designers were pulling in for that show was we would all. And and those are the best uh, of all the design uh, reviews that I've been in for the different shows where you have your uh where you have your showrunners reviewing and approving and noting all the designs for that come in. Uh, the design reviews for Owl House have been my favorite because we were all together, like all the artists and all the, and everyone would come in and sit in the room together to go through them. And you would just see the coolest, creepiest, and most insane designs for that show. And it was just so joyous. We were all just like, I can't believe we're doing this for a Disney cartoon. Like it was so much fun and seeing the show become as popular and big as it has been is like such so rewarding for like how, how like edgy it felt like that we were making this show. Like, Oh, this is going to be super creepy and crazy and uh, you know, and adorable that show. And I haven't even seen it. I haven't seen it. Which is a bummer because I he I keep hearing good things and to show to prove the popularity of that show, I know a lot about that show without having seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's huge and uh, Dana Terrace, the creator, I think, really had a vision for the show and worked uh, every day. I saw that show; people were working really hard to make that thing happen. So. Uh, it's, I, I'm not surprised at how successful it's become. It's it's pretty impressive. I think I'm going to start the binge tonight. I think I'm do it. Happen. Yeah, I think Seven. the first two seasons are on on Disney Plus now. We've only uh, with Amelia. I've only watched a couple from the first season. We haven't finished it yet. It's, it, you know, it's a. Li- I'm waiting till she's about she's about to turn six next month. So I'm thinking maybe we can get more into it in the next month or two, especially since my little pony friendship is magic is leaving Netflix at the end of January and she doesn't know yet. And it's one of her favorite shows and hopefully it's going to another streaming service soon. Cause otherwise I'm going to be spending a lot of money on getting those ponies back. She's going to, she's going to have a hard time. Damn. She loves those ponies. Uh, being a, being a parent is weird, and I'm gonna say that as someone who's not a parent, uh, from because like I even had a conversation with my sister today where she was like, "Yeah, she's like, uh, my niece has always been into cartoons. Now she seems like she's she's uh, tiptoeing in live action stuff, mm-hmm. and so my sister wants to show her some live action movies, and she's like, "Do you think that it's appropriate to show her this?" I'm like, "Dude, I have no idea." Because I, one of my earliest memories of a movie is Beetlejuice, and I'm not entirely certain I was at a right age to watch Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's a tough one. There's a lot going on in that movie. Uh, yeah, like, you know, I'm a big movie guy, and, like, we have, like, all of our DVDs, like, in this big shelving unit on the wall, like, in our main room. And it's, you know, she looks at them like occasionally and goes like, what's that one? What's this like? Cause she has her own DVD wallet of all the stuff that we've deemed. You're good. You can watch these anytime. These are Disney movies, cartoons. We are, you are, we are abdicating our right to judge. You're the content of these movies. You are okay to watch these. And, uh, and so she looks at the, and I'm like, okay, like when, when do I get to show her? When's too, like, should I do Labyrinth and then Dark Crystal? And like, isn't, where, when does never any story fit in there? Like, like I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but that's a little, it gets a little crazy. And then Willy Wonka, I'm a big fan of the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. I that's, you know, awesome, like infused with terrifying. Like, cause you know, at the end of the day, if she's terrified, you're the one that's going to lose sleep. So, yeah. 
I really, I really don't. You know have to, what you have to tread carefully, and and like, I tend like for first time viewings of movies, I'm always there. I try to always be present for the first time she's seeing something, and talk her through it. It drives my wife crazy because she she can't. She has a hard time hearing people talking during movies, but for for the kid, I always try and like sit and talk her through what's happening because a lot of times I think when we're really young and we see movies, we see them, but we understand only chunks. Like we get sort of the story, but we don't really understand why characters are doing a lot of the things they're doing. Um, just just this last Christmas, um, she wanted to watch, we had watched um, Muppet Christmas Carol last year and she remembered that we saw it, but she didn't really understand it. And then one of her My Little Ponies episodes did a Christmas Carol ripoff. And so she was like, this Christmas came around. She's like, can we watch the, the, the movie, the Christmas movie with the puppets and the ghosts? And I was like, yes. Like, and so like we sat and I like talked her through the whole movie, like explaining what was going on and what the characters were feeling in that moment and like all that stuff. And it's, it's awesome. Like, it's really cool. Like getting to, do that with a kid and like experience those stories over again and kind of getting to be the the curator for her uh for at least a portion of her childhood and her pop culture uh knowledge she's you know introduced us to a lot of things that she's gotten really into like the ponies um there's you know a, a lot of stuff like on Netflix, especially through the pandemic when my wife and I were both working full time and my daughter wasn't at school yet. Uh, so she basically spent all of 2020 and most of 2021 being parented by Netflix for most of the day. And so luckily the stuff, the content that she was found was really good. She, she found some good stuff. There's one or two shows where I'm like, that's not what I would have picked for you, but okay. There's this, uh, there's this anime on Netflix, um, something Doki Doki, and it's it's a very magical girl Sailor Moon style show, but like even more reduced to like like the character designs are all very one dimensional. Like, and I'm just like, why why this one? And she's like, they're girls and they have magic powers and there's they fight monsters with feelings. And I'm like, okay, that's I I I, I will no longer judge. But then she also like her special cartoon with dad is the 90s Spider-Man show. Because I was like, I want you you see pictures of Spider-Man around the house, like you know that there is a Spider-Man. I want this. This was my first exposure to Spider-Man as a character, was this show. So you can watch that with me. And and that show is like very close to the comics in terms of uh, like complicated like storylines. Like the 90s Spider-Man show has like five or six episode arcs where like all this crazy stuff is happening and, and she's able to follow it okay. She does pretty good, but you know, and she knows the characters and she knows Dr. Octopus and sometimes she wants to play like that she's her own superhero that she's made up and Spider-Man and her team up to fight Dr. Octopus. And like, she's, she totally buys it. So it's, it's like, it's really cool. And it's again, having the amount of our childhood favorites at the, the, the click of a button to force, to force feed into our children. Is pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty, I, uh, it's a pretty great setup. I, Man, there's so many things I want to ask about that whole story. Uh, have you seen Spectacular Spider-Man, and has she seen Spectacular Spider-Man? Not yet. I wanted to kind of use what I know about Spider-Man first as a as a starting point, and then I wanted to do my research on the other Spider-Man series on Disney Plus and kind of find like a really good one for her to go for and the and like watch that one together with her. Like, okay, this is a newer version of Spider-Man. Like, and she hasn't watched Into the Spider-Verse yet, but I kind of want that to be her first Spider-Man movie. Cause I mean, it's so good. And uh, yeah. it, I think it paves the way for you to see a lot of different versions of Spider-Man without like going, Oh, what, why isn't this one related to that one? Like, like you can really just, and you know, I loved it. So I'm like, I want to watch it again. And, 
to watch a lot of movies means to watch a lot of movies that she can watch because you know to be a parent means to be around the kid a lot i feel like so, the, uh i'm pretty confident that the 90s spider-man show even had like a first experience with the multiverse yes i i believe that's coming up we're right now we're in the secret wars part of the show so we're seeing um like captain like it's an introducing her basically to the rest of the avengers like captain america and uh Doctor Strange, Wolverine, and the X-Men, the, 90, the 90s X-Men characters all come in. Like, So she's getting kind of that education in like the whole Marvel, uh, you know, creation of, you know, cavalcade of characters and Storm. And I, she she's kind of into it. I, I, I feel bad that like that early 90s Spider-Man doesn't have a lot in representation for her. Like there's Black Cat who's like defining characteristic is that she flirts with Spider-Man a lot. Um, and then Mary Jane, who's just constantly in trouble. Um, constantly mad at Peter Parker. And, and, or yeah, or always <laughs> like offended that he like was late and like, oh, and her aunt who was just like totally judgy of Peter and then Aunt May who's always struggling. Oh man. Um, so I, I, uh, I like that she has a lot of other stuff to go to, especially uh, there's one that she loves, uh, the DC Superhero Girls show done by uh, Lauren Faust, who also did The Pony, The Friendship is Magic. And that show is wonderful. I love it. Uh, and she loves it. So, Did she, she like loves, She-Ra? She loved She-Ra. She watched all through She-Ra, Princess of Power, right? That's the... I haven't gotten to watch all of it, but uh, she got... She, I think, powered through all of that one on Netflix as well. And my, my niece also loves that show. Her and my sister and, and her wife, they all cosplayed. They did for Halloween, they did She-Ra. Uh, they were She-Ra, um, Entrapta, and I forget what the unicorn's name is, the flying unicorn. But, um, that's that's pretty cool that there was someone who was in a Entrapta costume because oh yeah that was that was my sister-in-law Jackie and she looked awesome and it was super great because on Dogs in Space uh, Adam Henry uh, was one of the chief creative producers on She-Ra uh, and so uh, I got to show him the picture I'm like hey look people cosplaying as She-Ra characters and he thought that was really cool. That's another really cool thing about being in the industry is you just get to work with people that have been in the industry a long time and worked on a lot of cool, cool stuff. Uh, like Adam Henry, he worked on the Iron Giant, like back in the day. Like uh, you have, you know, people just hop around and you get to meet all sorts of people. Um, that's it's been really cool. And you know, me, I, I I like to say that I couldn't draw a turkey without a free hand to trace. And I get to, you know, be a part of it. And, I, you know, when people ask me what I do, I go, I mostly write emails. That's, that's kind <laughs> of production's job. Because, like, you just kind of explain, like, when you make a cartoon, you have the people that make stuff. And then you have the people that need other stuff to make their stuff. And to get everything, to make sure that everyone's making everything they're supposed to, turning it in on time, and getting it to the people that need it you have a person in the middle and that's me. And so that's, that's what a production, a PA, a coordinator, production managers do is that they're, you know, you have your script needs to get done so that the story can be broken down and the designers can give you like an, a pre-design. And then that all goes to the storyboard artists and the director and they create what it looks like. And then the storyboard has to go back to the design team and they have to fill in all the new designs and, when that's all done, you give it to the editing team so that they can create a animatic. And then when the animatic and all the designs are done, you ship that off to an overseas studio because that's how the industry works now is that overseas studios do all TV animation. And then you get back and you send notes and then it's a push me pull you of, all right, if either this turned out perfect because we gave them all the right stuff or we didn't give them enough stuff or if there was a miscommunication and then, okay, that means a retake. Like, Usually your your contract with your overseas studio has like we can do like a percentage of retakes and then everything else is on your guys' end and then and then you're in post and then it's a show. Artists are weird. 
Uh, <laughs> you have to have someone navigating them to, to herd them around. <laughs> it's, you know, and it's, that's another part of like what I enjoy about the show is I get to like work with artists and I know that what they do is amazing. Like, I feel like I get to approach that. I, 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 I tend to be able to work with artists and on deadlines and getting stuff in. I try to be very understanding because I know how hard it is, what they're doing is and try to get them as much information as I can, like for notes and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, that's that's part of my job is just making that process painless as painless as it can be so <laughs> hopefully i do okay at that i've been i've been doing it for a while what has been one of your best experiences from the from from your job besides getting a nerd out with the one of the p- people that worked on iron giant um i would say because if it were me, I would put that pretty high up on my list. Yeah, it's pretty high. Like just uh, the the cool people I've gotten to work with, and like the friends that I've made. Like when you're on a show, like like when you're with a crew, especially a production crew, like you tend to all be together, working on everything together. And that's what's been so weird about the pandemic is that we're all on screens together. But it's it's a little different than being in office and and all and working together and when you're in production, you're kind of more of like a big picture person than an artist might be like your, your basic storyboard artist is only working on a third of the episodes or however many they've split up the episodes and your designers are usually only working on backgrounds or characters. And so getting to kind of see everything together and share that with the crew is always like some of my favorite parts. And, um, I really like all that, but I think my favorite, animation experience my favorite thing so far has been um in the last year because of the pandemic um i've gotten to sit in on some voice records because everything's been done through you know zoom and records and so i've gotten to basically and and our production team was very much like oh yeah if you're you know if you're muted you're part of the production team. You can listen in. And I'm like, yeah. So I've gotten to hear some really cool people uh, work on some projects and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Like, and I'm a big voice actor nerd, you know, going way back. So it's, it's been really cool. And I've gotten to do a couple um, temp recordings uh, on, on some stuff, but that was always like the, the dream I didn't dare chase was the voice acting dream. And there's there's some guys that have gone through like Turtle Talk that are now like working voice actors, and I'm like so proud of them and wishing that I pushed myself into it. Like it is something that I think about, like being like the next part of my career is like looking into the voice acting performing side of it because I'm I'm like it was something I never thought I could do, like just from the the logistics of it, but like you know, maybe, maybe just enough bravery might kick in to, to push me that way. Good luck. Uh, yeah, every time seriously. I see any, every time I ever see people doing voice acting, it's always like, cool, cool. I, I like doing voices, but when I see like hours of, huh, huh, uh, <laughs> is, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Or a director saying, all right, now fall down a hill. <laughs> Oh, I'm clumsy enough. I've I've done that before. I can I can build on real world experience for that. Yeah. Can you give me a Can you give me a falling down a hill? The falling down a hill. Like I feel like my falling down the hill though would probably be derivative of Wesley and Princess Bride. They're like, uh, 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 as as <laughs> My dear Wesley. Oh, Wesley, that's the. What have I done? Oh, oh, and hers are hers are hilarious. And that scene, like Wesley's good, but. But Buttercup's sounds as she's rolling down the hill are hysterical. Oh, oh, like, oh, it's so funny. I love hers because it always, hers almost sounds like she's about to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hear the, oh. It's like, oh, every, she keeps hitting her diaphragm really hard, like getting the wind knocked out of her every single she's, time on the way down. She's gagging. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Buttercup. <laughs> Watch out for the rocks. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> 
in a cartoon about Groundhog Day, uh, and not 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 Bill Murray's Groundhog Day, but the actual holiday. The, the actual holiday, okay. The holiday. We've done enough uh, time loop stories to <laughs> to last us forever. Um, would the shadow be an, be the adversary or romantic interest? Hmm. I feel like the romantic interest. I like that more. I feel like that, like the ground, like this is secret, like Punxsutawney Phil is in love with his own shadow and like, it's really nervous every Groundhog Day. Like, is Senpai going to notice me this year? Oh my God. What's happening? Like, and that's like the whole story. Like before you open, like go out, like the Punxsutawney is like, this is going to be the day I'm going to see her. And, Oh, it's going to be magical. And this time, this time you'll say hi. You'll say, hello, my name is Phil. I know there's a lot of people here, but let's just talk you and me. You and me. I don't know why it turned into Crispin Glover playing the part of Punk's Tommy Phil. But oh, you might say, okay, I, I went a completely different direction. When you started doing that voice, I wasn't even thinking about Crispin Glover. I was thinking of a... Uh... Uh, it was Martin Short was in Pebble and Penguin, right? Yes, Pebble and Penguin is Martin Short and Jim Belushi. And I, Tim Curry, I think, is the bad guy in that one. Oh, shit. Okay. That's weird. That's very weird. I haven't seen that movie in forever. But my, <laughs> but you're right. It is Tim Curry. But in my in my mind, when you started doing that voice, I pictured uh, the Pebble and the Penguin character. Martin Short, yeah. Well, the Tim Curry from Ferngully as a shadow. I was, like, I was like, this is going to be a weird romance, but I think <laughs> that fits. Toxic love. Uh. Hello. <laughs> Here comes winter. <laughs> I, I always tell people whenever I try to do the Tim Curry laugh, it always reminds me of like a duck swallowing something. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned space. Um, <laughs> I love Ferngully so much, and I feel like when we were describing movies that we don't know if kids should watch or if kids are ready, and you mentioned you mentioned uh, the three that were very weird was Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, and Neverend Story. And I can't honestly say, as someone who's not a parent, I don't have kids, I don't know what the order would be, because like. Labyrinth is, I think, Labyrinth is good. I feel like Dark Crystal can be boring um, for kids, for kids. Right, As an adult, yeah. I, I love Dark Crystal. Um, and I feel like Never in Story, the turtle, still haunts me. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. We're uh, allergic. Allergic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reason oh, why I bring it yeah. up is that uh, I remember watching Ferngully, and I, as a kid, I loved it. But as an adult, I look back and I'm like, huh, I feel like Tim Curry. I, I feel like Tim Curry and Krista. Yeah, Hexus and Tim Curry. No, sorry, Hexus and Krista. I feel like they had a lot of uh, sexual awakenings when I watched that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Krista, Krista. Good character on that. Um, I'm trying to think if I had any like, oh, I I do like girls moments uh, watching cartoons. Um, Dot Matrix, Dot Matrix was pretty uh, from reboot. She she had it going on. She had that tall look. She was good. Um, like Tim Curry's the whole uh, uh hit me once, hit me twice. <laughs> Ooh, ah, that's rather nice. <laughs> <laughs> Hexus. He has that like those long drawn out S's, I think, too. Like when he first starts off when he's like just like that pool of sludge, like working his way up through the machine before he turns like full smoke monster. Yeah. I just feel like Hexus was pretty sexy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I mean I mean, I think that's what he was bringing. I mean, the song is Toxic Love. Like yeah. it's like a total like like drag number basically like that song like that would totally be a cabaret song i can see that i just i if i feel like as an adult i watched it and i was like huh i don't know if i should have been watching this <laughs> but as a kid i as a kid i did not pick up on any of it oh, yeah. just 
Um, it wasn't yet your time. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you mostly email. You mostly send emails. And you got to see um, Zoom voice recordings. Uh, do you have any other examples of how the pandemic has changed how you work? Uh, it was so interesting. Um, so the production, I was on Dogs in Space when production came home, basically. And um, Dogs in Space as a show was set up already, I think, in the best possible way it could be. Because uh, Atomic Cartoons, who made Dogs in Space, um, they are a Vancouver animation production facility. So they actually are, you know, when we talk about sending uh, shows overseas, uh, Atomic is a production studio. So they are an animation studio where as a lot of like your Nickelodeons and Disney television, they tend to do a lot more of just the pre-production side of things. Um, and so Atomic, uh, we were already basically a, a networked Zoom call show because a lot of, we were um, working so much with the Vancouver studio that everything was on a server that was being shared between two countries and we were having Zoom meetings all the time. And so transferring over to work from home on that show, it was, it felt almost seamless. Like it was really like the, the weirdest part was just like getting used to being home and not having my commute. Like uh, I'm, I live pretty far from the Glendale Burbank area for someone that works in animation. I live in Downey. And so uh, it's about an hour each way. And uh, when when Atomic was on uh, was on the Sunset Strip before they moved to Burbank, it was an hour and a half each way. And uh, I got all that time back, but I had to, you know, make sure I was at my desk and, you know, not distracted by being at home. But uh, like. I, I felt like out of all the production scenarios, uh, Dogs in Space was the most, like it, it seemed to ease into it easily, which was great, which was very helpful for keeping the show going. Like we were right in the middle of, we were right in the middle of production when that happened. Uh, actually, uh, we had to cancel a trip to Vancouver. Uh, a bunch of us in the in the team were going to be going up to Vancouver to really work with the Vancouver team because Atomic, you know, a lot of times when you have your overseas studio, uh, you have your your pre production studio like your Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney, and they kind of set the parameters and then they make a contract with an overseas studio to like reciprocate that. This was. Atomic was a production studio in Vancouver creating a pre-production wing in LA because they know a lot of the pre-production talent is in the Burbank Glendale area. And so we were following their lead. They were kind of like, you're a part of our studio. So all the pipeline creation, all, all the way the designs are tracked and labeled and all that stuff that usually your studio like preps and then sends off we were all learning their system so we were we were going to be going up to vancouver the week of the shutdown like all of a sudden i had i had gotten my passport already i was like i'm going on my first work trip i'm so excited and then yeah the world turned upside down so um after that and especially like i think that first week i got like a cold like right before everybody else got sent home i got a cold and got sent home and luckily it was not COVID. And back then I was like, come on. Like I, like it was such a pre COVID mentality that I'm so like, I really ashamed of now. Like I was like, I got home and I was like all grumpy that I'd gotten sent home and like, why did they do that? Like they told me like, I'm fine. And then like, as like now I'm just like, my God, I'm so glad that I wasn't positive and that I didn't get anybody else sick. And like how real of a thing it was like uh yeah and then and then the show went on and now it's on the air and it's uh it's great who would you okay so a new movie that's coming out is moonfall and i was thinking of uh 
moon characters and falling for them because we're right on the we're right on the edge of February, and so you're gonna think about romantic stuff. Uh, and I thought of sexy moons, in which case that brought me to Mac Tonight from McDonald's. Right. Uh, who would you cast as an updated version of Mac Tonight? So. If you were gonna do an updated version of Mac Tonight, because I feel like in all the Mac Tonight commercials, it was it was wasn't it Doug Jones in like the I think someone else was doing the voiceover, but I think Doug Jones famed uh tall skinny mime makeup guy was the guy inside the Mac Tonight suit. I'm pretty sure that's true. And then voiceover. So would you do like the same kind of thing or would you do like an animated kind of thing like or like a cg thing for your for your supposed mac tonight valentine special as a fan of doug i don't know because i was first i was thinking of animation because we're talking about animation but then you mentioned doug jones and i'm a huge fan of doug jones and i want to do i want to give him all of the work everything right. i don't care i want him to win and everything <laughs> like so no, like like i feel like you could do like another like meetup of him and a voiceover but i feel like he's gotten a lot more into like doing like the his own performance like his full performance now like ever since i think the first hellboy they had david hyde pierce i think do abe sapien but then for the second one they just let doug jones be the whole character and i feel like since then they haven't really done too much of the overdubbing for him so and i know he's on um the news, the Star Trek Discovery. I think he's got a big part on that. Uh, so yeah, I think I I feel like he could do it if you were going to go that route. Um, and for some, I don't know why, but when I first heard the question, I don't know why I thought it was so funny. But like Timothy Oliphant as Mac tonight just like made sense to me for some reason. And I don't know why I don't know. Cause that's not, he's never played like the, the crooner type. I don't know. I don't know why I thought like that thing with that character. Cause that's what Mac tonight, Mac tonight is a crooner, right? Like he was yeah. like, he's not quite like a Michael Buble, like Frank Sinatra. He's a little like, and they put like the sunglasses on him. Like, I guess probably to make him less terrifying. Because um, I can't imagine Mac tonight without the sunglasses. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna totally draw him without the sunglasses because that uh, sounds dude, terrifying. Creepy. Like, like he lowers the sunglasses and it's just like super gross, real human eyes, like in the middle of a giant moon face, like, <laughs> like, uh, like those uh, midpoints. Do you, have you seen Return to Oz? Yeah. So, like, when the Troll King is turning, I think. I forget, like, during the course of, like, the last third of the movie, the, the Troll King, like, he becomes more, I forget whether he becomes more rock-like or more human-like, but oh, there's, I, like, I, a I transition. Totally, I can totally let you know. Uh, every time one of her friends becomes uh, uh, another Emerald Stone thing, whenever they zap him, he gets, like, their life force, and so he becomes Right, so he becomes more human. Yeah, so, yeah. like, like one of those intermediate stages that's that's Mac tonight's face, like underneath the sunglasses. That is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, either Doug I'm Jones or Timothy Oliphant. I think that's my casting for Mac tonight. I'm gonna say Anthony Mackie just because I kept on saying Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Mac tonight. That's that's pretty great. I like it. And he what, wears the, the he wears the goggles a lot as Falcon, so uh, that makes sense. I, I don't know. Every time he has any kind of dialogue, I'm like, yeah, let's just let's just hear Anthony Mackie say stuff because <laughs> I, <laughs> I think he's sexy. Also, <laughs> um, and I always say also because I mentioned that uh, Tim Curry's Hexus is sexy. So I'm just mentioning all the uh, <laughs> Hexus. We're like sexist, am I right? Oh, <laughs> um, what words of advice would you give to anyone who's interested in going into your occupation? Man, so my story's weird, right? Like getting into production is really weird because, um, you know, for me it was I I knew a guy. Like it's it's uh, that's a hard advice to give someone. Um, so my suggestion is uh, a lot of the studios now have great internship programs. Um, they've really turned the internship situation in. Uh, 
in the animation studios into something, I think, a really great situation. I don't know what it's been like the last two years of the pandemic. I'm hoping once people start coming back to an office, uh, having an internship will become an awesome thing again. I'm sure it's a real struggle right now for people wanting to intern. Like interning in a work from home setting sounds really tough. Um, but uh, internship and then, uh, you know, just being friendly and, and you know, taking the hard work with a grain of just like, uh, like always striving for that team mentality is what I always try to exude like in working, like always making sure I'm like letting people know that help me out. Cause I get so much help in this industry, like from the rest of my team, like always trying to boost other people up and helping them out. And that's, that's, I think what's kept me going in the industry is not only doing my part, but recognizing the people that have helped me and, and really, you know, making sure they get their due and, and supporting them. And I think that's really helped me out. So I feel like that's the most I can give. Cause again, I, I don't have uh, an art, art technique that I can, you know, convey or anything like that. I think it's just all about, you know, knowing that, your effort to make the job fun and friendly and positive uh, can get noticed. You can you can be when it comes to a team like that. That positive energy can help a lot, and and that's I guess what I would advise. <laughs>